This episode of the Get in the Game podcast is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. We invite you to check out our website, sportspectrum.com, for more content on the intersection of faith and sports. Articles, devotionals, podcast episodes, videos, all right there at one spot, sportspectrum.com. While there, you can also subscribe to our magazine. You can get a subscription for one year for just $18, or you can save money by signing up for a two-year subscription for just $30. It's a great deal, makes a great gift for somebody in your family, or if you're wanting the content for yourself, go ahead and subscribe as well, sportspectrum.com. While there, also check out our newsletter. You can sign up for that and get devotionals, stories, all sorts of content to your email inbox each week for free. All of it right there on sportspectrum.com. Now, let's get in the game. Hello, welcome to Get in the Game podcast with your host, Scott Lundin former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad. So let's dive right in. Hey everybody, I'm Scott Linebrink. I'm your host of Get In The Game podcast. And this week I'm joined by a gentleman that I don't know very well, but I've done some research on his story and I'm excited for him to share more. This is Scott Hamilton the uh, Olympic award-winning figure skater. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much. It's good to see you. Or I see on video, but it's great to hear your voice. <laughs> but, well, good to hear yours too. And I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into your story because as I mentioned, um, I did not know. I'm, I mean, I've seen you on TV. I've seen you commentating a lot. Um, and I remember you when you actually uh, were in the Olympics um, and, and just what a, a long time ago. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you've been a part of some great stuff. You've got a great story of faith too. And so um, tell us a little bit about that. Tell, I mean, let me, first, let me give some accolades. So you are an Olympic gold medalist. You're a four-time U S champion. You've authored three books. You're an accomplished actor, including Blades of Glory. You've even won an Emmy. Uh, you're a cancer. Well, an Emmy nomination. <laughs> Emmy nomination. I okay. missed out. I should have won. Hey, I'm but just kidding. nobody ever remembers who won, right? They just need to know that you got nominated. I do. I, I remember. <laughs> you're a cancer. You're also a cancer survivor. Um, three times, I believe, and a, a man of faith and a philanthropist. So of all of those accolades, what do you want to be remembered for? I'm, I guess being a man of faith, you know, it, and, you know, for, for a lot of people, I think a lot of us, you know, it, it's not just something you're born with. You know, some people are born into families where it's it's a big part of how they live each day. And so children grow up immersed in and understanding, you know, God's grace and love and mercy and, and others come to it, you know, kind of late in the game, you know, I was exposed to it um, occasionally growing up and I, you know, skating is a very secular sort of industry. Um, and then I, I was, I was kind of introduced to it and didn't really, you know, it didn't, I, I wasn't at that maturity level, I guess, or I wasn't in a, in a place in my life where I was willing to receive, I guess, is even the, the more accurate, I guess, description of that. 
And then I just started understanding more and more that I, I, I never felt like I was ever truly alone. I always felt protected. I always felt that there was something there that I was uh, meant to do, something I was destined to do, something was waiting for me to earn it, you know, whatever that was. And, and, I, and so, um, you know, I, I, I always kind of grew up with that belief in God. I just, I just didn't understand, you know, kind of the rules of the game. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand what the parameters were. And I, and I really struggled with the, um, the whole idea of, of Jesus dying for me. And it took me, um, you know, some maturity and it took me some time and some um, life uh, things that happened to, to really open my mind and my heart and my being to be able to really just allow it to do its work and for me to participate in it more fully. And it's been, you know, easily the greatest, um, the greatest journey I think I've ever been on. You know, I, I was a skater, as you said, and I, you know, I, I skated a high level for a long time. I lost a lot before that happened. And then, um, you know, I was just really blessed to have a long career in skating, but, you know, stepping into uh, sort of the community and, and um, ways that I can participate in it to try to make it better, to engage people, to um, save lives, to save the, the quality of lives. You know, it just feels like that, that isn't something that I chose. It's more like something that chose me. And, and, and so I, I operate in the understanding that it's a big, 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 big deal to get into cancer research because it feels so broad that my executive director, you know, she says for the general public, it's a black hole, right? You're just throwing stuff in this black hole, but we're very strategic in the way that we really want to advance um, cancer treatment um, to the point where it's more almost organic to the body. You know, we've learned so much about our immune systems through this COVID period that, um, you know, it's really easier for us to tell our story now because, you know, we used to put our stake in the ground seven years ago to only fund immunotherapy. And back in the day, it's like, what? What's that? It's like, there isn't, a, there isn't such a thing as immunotherapy. And well, you can talk, talk to Jim Allison about that at MD Anderson. He just won the Nobel Prize for his work for, I don't know how many decades he's been working on immunotherapy for cancer. But, you know, he always knew that the body held everything it needed to fight cancer. We just have to figure out ways of unleashing the body's own capacity to do that. So, um, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of uh, great advancements. We formed a lot of great partnerships and alliances and we funded a lot of great research. And so we're, we just live in hope and um, in faith that the work we're doing is gonna make um, a lasting impact for people mm -hmm. that are trying to survive cancer. Wow, that's, that's a lot to respond to right there. But I, I want to go back to something that you said, because uh, talking about your faith story and how you believe that, that God um, always had something in mind for you, or maybe that even what you mentioned about the barrier um, about Jesus dying for you. Can, can you articulate maybe what, what exactly was hard for you to overcome in your understanding of, of that salvation? 
Well, I just think it was the, you know, <clears throat> when you step on the ice for a competition, you're on your own, right? And I think, you know, for most of my life, I just felt that way. You know, I was in and out of hospitals when I was younger with a childhood illness that wasn't really diagnosed back then. Um, and so, you know, I look at, I look at all that time that I was just on my own, you know, and I just felt like I was doing it on my own. And, and as you mature and as you grow older and as you start to understand the way things work, I, I came to the understanding that I, you know, because I never felt alone, as I mentioned earlier, but I, I never, like, I understood better that, um, you know, we don't always, we don't, we aren't always in charge of the outcomes in our lives. We, we need a lot of faith. We need a lot of, um, it, it's just, it, it feels, it's almost like I'm so full. There's so many things I want to get out that I can't, it's like, it's stuck, right? You know, it's like at this little opening, which is my mouth. And I've got this floodgate of information. I just want to share it. It's like, ah, where do I start? Um, it just, you know, it answered so many questions. You know, it's like, you know, I was, um, I was not intended. I was an accident. Um, was, uh, I was, uh, born to a mother that could have made other uh, had other options, you know, and I was brought into the world and I was adopted at six weeks of age, you know, so that always, cre that always brings up more questions <laughs> than answers, you know, it's like, well, who, how, what, how, uh, but, but, you know, you step into this understanding that I was blessed to have a mother and a father that desperately wanted children and, and you know, and they sacrificed a great deal for me and they, they put a lot of time, you know, into, me becoming the, the person that I was going to become. And, and it's just miraculous to think about what well, things could have gone a lot of different ways and they didn't. And um, I look at, you know, uh, the fact that my childhood illness put me in, in a place where I was of a, a certain size and I was a certain stature and I was a certain build and I was a certain this and I was certain that. And that was perfect for skating, personality perfect for skating. The way that I, um, I, I, I do things. It was, it was skating was the perfect app, you know, venue, perfect, you know, um, thing for me to be doing. And when I, when I connect all the dots, it, it, it all eats up, you know, it, it, it just, it's, it's far too coincidental that all of these things happened. And it just so that, you know, a equals Z, you know, and, and, it, and it was um, faith, the, the, that component of it. When I started to more le lean in and understand who God is and how he operates and how he has interacted with all those wonderful um, people in the Bible that we just know their names, but we don't always recognize the way that God interacted with them. And it's that, that's, that's kind of the interaction piece of it that and I, I think most people don't understand when they pick up a Bible, they, you know, a lot of people, especially, you know, when they don't get, you know, the, the, the fact that God exists, God created everything. God um, desperately wants to have a, a, a loving relationship with everyone. He loves us unconditionally. He just wants us to love him. And he, he allowed it to be a choice. Um, and, and just the fact throughout all this, you know, this, this battle between, you know, good and evil. And I, I, you know, if I think if you're on the wavelength now, you can truly see it in the world more than ever, I think. Um, 
you know, you understand that, you know, a lot of things are not just natural, but supernatural. They, a lot of things are beyond our, our understanding. A lot of things are, you know, just so magnificent and so big that it, it, it almost minimizes who we are. But when you take a step into that, it maximizes everything that you could become because it, it just, it frees you to step into a world of acceptance and faith and love and joy. And, and, um, you know, I've got the, the nine fruits of the spirit on my wall right next to my closet where I see them every single day. And, and it just reminds me that this, this is the way I want to live. I want to live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If I can live in that every day, then really nothing is going to knock me down. Nothing is going to defeat me. Nothing is going to um, crush my spirit. Um, you know, I was, I, was, I was at the skating rink today um, with, with my coaches at the skating academy. And one of the administrative people came by and they said, so how are you? And it's like, well, pretty much every aspect of my life is under attack right now, but I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? I go, no, it's like, things are crazy right now. You know, my cancer foundation, we have our big, uh, huge fundraiser coming up and we may or may not have the ballroom. I'm, what? And then, you know, it's like, obstruction, obstruction, obstruction. Um, what are your COVID policies? Who are going to be? Are we going to be this? Are going to be that? Are you going to be vaccinated? Are you going to have a COVID test? Are you gonna be, how are we going to be able to be? It's like attack, attack, attack. You know, so we go, well, this is definitely not a normal year for us. And then, you know, skating camera, we got um, two facilities, we got you know, personalities, we got all these. And it's like, okay, we're going to manage that. What, how, what is my role in all of that? And then, you know, we got three teenagers at home. If that doesn't oh. test you, nothing will, <laughs> right? You know, so it's just, you know, it's the world over the last, you know, I guess um, 18 months is just, you know, been flipped on its head and people are just trying to figure out how to deal with this next normal, whatever that is. I imagine that person may not have expected that response when they asked you how you're doing and, and we should all be careful. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, it's like, yeah, every, every aspect of my life is somehow under attack. Right. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's okay. You know, I mean, if I really take a step back, I'm sure it's that way all the time, but you know, I don't really notice it. Right. But we just keep moving forward and we just keep putting one step in front of the other. And, and we try to understand that, um, you know, it's like when I woke up, okay, here's a, here's a, another aspect of that or another example of that. So in 2010, my brain tumor came back for the second time. And this time it was surgery. And it was supposed to be a simple surgery, one that's been done tens and hundreds of thousands of times where they go up through your nose, they drill a hole up there, and then they, they take the tumor out and then they patch everything up. And then five days later, you're kind of good to get back into life, right? Well, I woke up after the surgery in a hallway and everybody was yelling and screaming, I guess, uh, the elevators had shut down and they needed to get me up to neuro ICU because they just had brain surgery. And I was looking at my um, anesthesiologist and his eyes were really big and everybody was kind of in a panic mode. And I realized that my right leg was in a brace. 
Now, when you go in for brain surgery and your right leg is in a brace, you really don't want to know what happened. All right. <laughs> just, it's just like all information will be given on a need to know basis. All right. You just kind of like, okay, I'll, I worry about that right now. But I was crashing off the anesthesia and I was shivering and I was like, then I started to shudder and spasm. And this, this, this overwhelming feeling came into my spirit that just said, this too shall pass. Mm. This too shall pass. And so I just, I put myself into a deep state of relaxation. I just said, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. I kept saying this too shall pass. And the more I said it, the more my body started to calm down. Wow. And the more I was able to stop shuddering, stop shivering, and I was able to just lay still and wait for the storm to pass and get me on my elevator up to narrow ICU where they could look after me in my recovery. Well, <clears throat> that whole idea of this too shall pass, you know, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's given um, scriptural reference or whatever, but, you know, it, it, it's pretty much any storm in our life is meant to pass. You know, it, it, we don't live in the storm. Storms come and storms go. Storms need energy. They don't just live in a constant state of energy. So storms come and storms go. And, and in that, I realized that this too shall pass. And so I had a t-shirt made that I wear every now and then that just has those four words, this too shall pass. And um, every time, you know, I put it on, my kids look at me and they go, are you okay? but it's it's just living in the in that where yeah there are storms and there are periods of our lives that are really challenging and difficult and and tough you know but um we just know that this is a storm and we'll get through it and we'll get back to a, a a time of peace and some storms last longer than others and some need different kinds of attention than others. You know, I've been through like cancer and I've been through all kinds of things. And, and, you know, those are just um, things that you'd have to deal with at the time. And, and then when you um, get past them, when you, when you are even living through them, learn so much and you grow so much and you understand so much about who you are and how you can handle these types of storms that when the little ones come along, they don't seem quite so um, threatening. Yeah, I would imagine um, those experiences, and uh, I would, I would, I mean, I know they're like this for me. I would imagine they are for you too. That each time we have an experience, it gives us preparation for what we know is to come, because we know there's going to be mm -hmm. store, storms that come in our lives. But, but having that experience, and just like you sitting in that hallway, knowing that this will pass. When that next storm comes, you know that that one will pass too, right? Mm -hmm. I, exactly. And, and whatever that is, you know, and sometimes you need to allow it to pass and other times you need to, you know, help it, you know. Yeah. And so it's just having the wisdom to know the difference. And, and I, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm now 63. I've learned a lot, you know, in my life. And I've experienced a lot of really fun and incredible things and some really tough and tragic things and and I understand it's a balance and and you know however I can impact the community in a in a in a way that is positive and however I can help somebody that is suffering and whatever we can do. I mean, you know, we I think it was month two of the lockdowns. Um, you know, it was I guess it was about you know, how many years ago was that now? Um, it was 
I guess it was about eight or six years ago, we came up with this idea for um, uh, this platform called Live Your Days. And I thought, ah, doesn't seem like the right time to do it. Um, so we just put it on a shelf. And then month two of COVID, I got an email from the people that I was working with and they, and they said, can we have a call this afternoon? I said, absolutely. So I called them up and they just said, now? <laughs> I go, yeah, I think now's a really good time. So we created this digital encouragement platform called Live Your Days, where it's just a reminder that you know, our bodies are super vulnerable, susceptible, fragile to many things, countless things, but equally resilient, but you know, ultimately temporary. You know, so <laughs> knowing that, you know, how are we going to make that choice to live this day and to live each one mm -hmm. of our days, um, you know, productively, abundantly, joyfully, productive, you know, whatever. And and it's really um, a call to action to just sort of like just, just shake it, shake it down to today's one of my days and I don't want to waste it. And I want to do something with it that um, that makes me feel like I validated this day. And so um, we have a 30 day challenge and it's been really fun. We did with different people that, um, uh, that, you know, teach us how to live our days. And it's been really fun. You know, it's been fantastic to do these things that, um, uh, you know, are meant to encourage people so they can rise above their circumstance. Yeah, you, uh, I ran across a quote on your web, uh, website, and it said, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Um, and I really like that line. But um, Well, it's funny because, you know, it seems like I'm able-bodied and, you know, how can somebody really say that? And, and it's because I've been so inspired by so many people that have, have risen above unspeakable things that, you know, it's... It, I, I just will never forget them. You know, it, it's, you know, I, I served on the International Board of Special Olympics for 13 years and the athletes I met there just, you know, risen above, um, you know, any expectations people could ever put on them. And um, people that have been um, injured that, you know, compete in Paralympics and do things that are beyond my capacity or understanding. Um, you know, people that have suffered great injury that are um, just, you know, like um, one young man I met when he was a junior in high school, I'll never forget him. His name was Joel Sonnenberg and he was burned over 85% of his body. And within meeting him for 30 seconds, all of that goes away. And you meet probably one of the most remarkable people you've ever met in your life. And he's just so captivating and so energetic and interesting and, and positive that you just can't be around him enough, right? And so that really, you know, when, when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, it's like, you know, am I going to be different or, or is, is this going to create a lesser version of me? And, and I just thought, you know, honestly, it, it's, it starts here. It starts in your, in your noggin, you know, you just decide, you know, I, I want to be better. I want to be, you know, I want to be really just content with whatever I have to work with. And then I'm going to leverage that the best I possibly can. And, and the only thing that's going to prevent me from doing that is my own, my own limitations. The only thing what I put on myself, you know, people can say, like I had a coach tell, um, not a coach, a judge tell my coach. Um, I was starting to kind of climb the international ladder a little bit. 
And she said, it's really good that he's doing so much better, but you just have to accept the fact that he's too short to be competitive internationally. And I thought about that for a minute. And it's like, well, you know, how do you fix that? (laughs) At the same time, it's like, that was a limitation that was imposed on me. That wasn't one that I had. That was one that, so what I learned was, I took a step back and I go, how tall was David Jenkins when he won the Olympics in 1960? Well, he's my height. So it's not a height thing. It's just that this particular judge would rather see a tall skater than a short one. So what I learned from that is I don't want her on my panel. <laughs> That's all I learned. I just And, you know, there's sometimes, you, you know, there, it, that's all you can do. You know, not everybody's going to have the same opinion of what they like and what they don't like. And, and, you know, so um, a lot of what I've learned, I put into a book called finish first that came out, I guess uh, came out right after the uh, last Olympics. So it would have been 2018. And, and it's just sort of a, a study of, of, you know, how to become the best version of yourself and how to, you know, leverage everything you have to, reach your goals and to become kind of a champion you know it's so many people in the united states you know we're born blessed because we live in this country can't wait to change that right um (laughs) we we have so much opportunity and so much you know unbelievable the stuff that's available to us that we can chart our own course no matter what we're born into we can can rise above it and it's just um you know I, i i so you know we're not born winners you know, we have to, we have to figure out a way to get there. And and there's going to be a considerable amount of loss on the way, you know, but if you want to be, you know, better than you've ever been, you know, you're going to have to endure a lot of failure, a lot of criticism. And um, a lot of it is self-imposed, you know, so how do we rise above this? And, and here's a plan. Here's, here's a proven set of, of, of strategies that help you do that. And it was really fun to do it. And I had no idea. I thought at first I was writing it for millennials, you know, because they get so stuck, you know, and it, it, they're just sort of in, they, they grew up in this digital world of smartphones and instant access to information all that, that it's hard for them to kind of settle into a long haul situation. And what I found was I, I had a huge level of gratitude um, shared with me from senior citizens, you know, because Basically, my attitude is, as long as I have breath in my lungs, there's something for me to do. And for them, it was like, thank you. You got me off the couch. You got me, you know, thinking that I could, I could do something and I could, I could still set goals and I could still, you know, have, have impact and importance in, in, in just by using what, whatever I have and leverage that into, into really enjoying life. And, and so I was really, um, blessed by that opportunity to write that book and to share it with, you know, the people that really uh, wanted to step into that um, mentality and that plan and philosophy of being better than we've ever been. Scott, what I'm taking from your story and going all the way back to the adoption experience, to the physical limitations that others said were limitations, and we're going to hold you back from doing what you wanted to do professionally. But I'm taking this theme of God doesn't make mistakes. And, um, you know, Psalm 139 talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, how we're knit together in our mother's womb, and how God has been preparing each one of us all along to do something. And he's giving us the tool, the exact tools that we'll need to accomplish that will. And when we lean into that, 
that's when we really find that that true joy of what it means to to be in his will and i i really appreciate you sharing this um i want you to yeah i want you to talk a little bit more about the service side you know that's really the focus of this podcast is um is talking about what it means to serve and you've already shared a lot about um you know what it means for you and how the platform you've been given has allowed you to serve others can you just talk about the feeling that you get whether it be joy, whether it be, you know, maybe a, even a story that um, that you can think of that you did it and it was totally about sacrifice, doing something for someone else. But after you did it, you said, wow, that was so cool. I want to do that again because uh, it was for somebody well, else. It's, well, it's funny, you know, there's, there's so many examples of that. But um, one is, you know, when I started my uh, CARES platform, uh, it's called the Cancer Alliance for Research, Education, and Survivorship. You know, it's if people want to learn more about it, they can go to scottcares.org. Um, but we started this. Um, I started fundraising after I lost my mom. You know, I figured when she died of cancer, it's 44 years ago. Um, I figured if I could find a way to treat Nick successfully, if I could fund the research that would treat her cancer successfully, then I, I'll know I've been blessed to have a mom like her and, and that I could spare another 18 year old kid, um, that devastation. Um, so I just, I, wherever I could, I, I did fundraising, you know, we'd put on some big shows, some small shows, some other things where I would just try to fund research and, and really just do something good in the cancer community. And then when I went through my own cancer in, uh, 97, it was 20 years shy, two months of losing my mom you know, the fear is extraordinary and I don't know how it happens, but, but um, that fear is replaced with, you know, almost an opposite set of circumstance or, or, of emotions where you're scared to death and then all of a sudden flip, you're more brave than you ever thought you could be more courageous, more aware, more, you know, the clarity of mission is so profound and you just, there's this awakening in you where you just, it's like, you know, you're ready to do battle. Right. And it's just this wild thing. And, and I thought, wow, I, I never, I never saw that coming, but what I experienced in my cancer was there were so many gaping holes in the cancer community. And I know how big that community is that I just felt like the next chapter, I had to go from being a fundraiser to an activist more or less, and had to figure out a way of solving these gaps in the cancer community that, um, would make it better for the next person going through it. Example, when I was about to start chemotherapy, um, you know, I, I asked the doctor, I go, how sick am I going to get? And he said, moderate to severe. Mm-hmm. And I go, what does moderate to severe look like? And he goes, um, moderate to severe. <laughs> you know, so I realized he's never had it. He's watched other people go through it. So they don't really know what it feels like to go through this chemotherapy. So I, I knew that I was flying blind, you know, I was just going to try to step into each new day, you know, with energy and with um, ambition and try to be the best patient I could be. And the other thing I didn't know was um, like, I wanted to quit after round three because I was just done, you know, and then I had a big surgery coming up, which was 38 staple surgery. And I'm not a tall person. So that's a big segment of my body was opened up and, and I, I wasn't really prepared for that. In fact, when I was on the operating table, I was, I must've been just like so scared and they go, are you okay? And I go, no, I'm scared. And they go, why are you scared? And I go, well, have you ever done this before? <laughs> and they said, well, 
seven this month. And I go, oh, okay, well, let's get started. So, um, you know, it, it there needed to be something there as well. You know, so we started on, on the chemotherapy side. We, um, I, I, I was the organ grinders monkey for five years raising money to, you know, build this website called chemocare.com. And it's everything you need to know about the chemotherapy experience, how it's administered. Every single drug is listed and explained um, how they work, what they're designed to do. And then all the side effects that come with those drugs has a whole nother area of how to manage the side effects, all in eighth grade English and Spanish. Because when I was looking for information in 1997 for my cancer, everything on the internet was medical journal papers of 12 syllable words. And I thought it was pretty unfair that I was too dumb to be sick, right? So we check, we got the chemotherapy thing now where people can understand what they're getting into and understand, you know, so we're taking that mystery and that, that step in the dark away. Now you can step in understanding everything and how to manage your side effects and all the other stuff. And then um, as far as that wanted to quit and didn't, you know, didn't anticipate what the surgery was going to do. Um, I realized that the only person that could have helped me was somebody like me. So we, we created a mentorship program called the fourth angel mentorship program, which is your first angel is your oncologist, your second angel is your oncology nurse, your third angel is your friends and family. What's missing is that fourth angel. Um, and they've been there, done that, right? They, they, they've survived the cancer that you are in the, you know, you're about to start to survive. So they work as role models and life coaches and they're not giving medical advice. They're just, you know, there to, you know, serve as, well, how did you handle this? I go, well, what I learned was if I, if I had chicken soup an hour after this, then my stomach was, you know, this, or if I got really scared, I was a quiet place in my house where I'd just go and I'd read or try to sleep or whatever. There, there are coping mechanisms that only a survivor would know that patients desperately need kind of that kind of they need to be given that power to step into, you know, their moments of, of fear and suffering, you know, with the confidence that they can get onto the other side. So fourth angel mentoring program is booming, thriving, going crazy. And I just thought, well, that's, well, let's figure out a way, a better way to, to cure the cancer. And so that's, that's this, the next chapter of it. And what feels good is I, I've never taken a penny ever for any of the work I've ever done with cares. And and I feel good about that because there's no conflict of interest. I'm not doing this for any other reason than I, I just really want them to make the world better. And if, and if I allow the resources to, to work, you know, efficiently, um, then I don't have to, you know, feel badly about going to a donor and saying, I need you to, you know, I need a big donation. <laughs> it's not for me. It's, it's for the next survivor. And, you know, we've been able to be, pretty successful in that. And, and, uh, you know, COVID is obviously last year was okay. This year has been really challenging because people I think are, are still uncertain and they've, they've been rocked a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I step in in faith and, and so, you know, I've upped my, um, my, my wife and I have, have upped our financial, um, opportunities there to, to help. And, and, you know, we just feel like we're onto something. We want to see it succeed and thrive. So we're going to, we're going to do everything we can to do that. So, you know, you serve where you can. When I started the skating Academy with the Nashville Predators, I did that as a volunteer. 
why wouldn't I? I've been given so much in skating that it just feels good to give back and to share that joy of being on the ice and get better each week. And, and just that whole understanding of what can I do on these things? It looks like so much fun to be able to jump and spin. And, and even if they want to play hockey, I want you to be really fast and agile. Here's how you do that. And so that's been um, an extraordinary relationship as well. And my wife's very involved in um, Haiti and, and that's been amazing over the years. She's been down there 29 times. And, um, you know, we've, we've, I've gotten involved with, locally with the food bank and other programs here in Nashville. And it just feels really good to, to be a part of something that um, is making your community stronger and deeper. Mm. Uh, that's great. And to tie it back into the faith element, you know, when we think about um, what qualifies Jesus uh, to be our suffering servant, it's because he suffered himself, because he knows about all of the the pain and the trials and the hurts that and, we experience. And we'll never suffer as he did. That's right. We won't. I mean, just the humiliation and the, and the agony and the pain and, and uh, you know, being, you know, nailed to a pole and, and I just, it's just unspeakable what he did to give us an opportunity and a, and a way to the father. And I mean, I, I look at that and it knocks me down every single time I think about it. I, I don't, I've never been blase about it. You know, I, it's just like, oh, that, you know, that I, oh yeah, I've, I've thought about that before. No, every time I think about that, it, it, it just, it really just, um, it affects me in different ways. It's like, well, how, I mean, that's commitment, right? That is, that's love. That's sacrificial love to a point that I don't think a human being can understand, you know? And I know a lot of his disciples, you know, were um, martyred along the way and, and, but they, they had time to spend with him and they knew the promise. They knew that this life was um, almost a blip and <laughs> for the promise of something greater, more, better, um, more awesome um, without all the uh, strife and, and, um, and dysfunction that we endure in this world. Scott, you've given us a wonderful testimony of what God's done in your life and what you're doing in the lives of other people, helping through th uh, them through you know some of the biggest storms of their life with cancer research and and just being a a friend to them. Um, thank you so much for for sharing. Oh man, thank you. I'm headed to Utah this weekend for one of our skate to eliminate cancers, and that'll be uh, a big celebration of you know we're turning. Uh, young skaters into philanthropists, which is really fun. <laughs> Just teaching them that they do have the power to change their world for the better. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's not as hard as you think, you know, um, I heard someone say, you know, they were in Haiti and the need in Haiti is so great. And, um, you know, it, it's sort of the love thy neighbor thing, you know, which is really powerful. They just said, how do you, how do you make a difference in Haiti? And I'll never forget it. She said, very matter of factly, she said, it's really quite simple. You just love the person standing mm -hmm. directly in front of you. And that's kind of been my, my kind of swing thought everywhere. You don't have to be in Haiti to do that. You know, I can do that here. And, and I would urge your audience to do the same thing because it does change the air in the room. Amen.
That's a great word. Well, uh, one that we'll uh, conclude our time with. And again, thank you so much for all that you've shared. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Weinbrink, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott and follow him on Twitter at Scott Weinbrink. We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. We'd also love for you to check out our Sports Spectrum magazine full of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe at SportsSpectrum.com. It's $18 for an entire year subscription. Again, the website to subscribe is sportspectrum.com. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.